last such. Cain settles onto the earth, arms folded behind his head. A sigh ripples through his nose and musses the yellowing whiskers of his beard. So the matter of his mortality has been decided. In a strange way a burden has been lifted. If he were carefree he might start whistling, but he is not. He is a man who dwells upon serious thoughts. As a boy he dwelt upon serious thoughts. As a fetus in his mother's womb he was prone, quite likely, to serious ruminations, while his light-hearted brother simply enjoyed spinning and kicking in the watery gloom. People change in some ways as they grow. In other ways they don't. Maybe that's the nub of it, he thinks. Maybe that's where all the problems started between himself and his brother, himself and his mother, himself and his father. With two unborn souls spinning or brooding in the watery wet, waiting for the unforgiving light of their first morning. There is something in that, some truth waiting to be grasped like a teat in an infant's hand. But like that teat, the truth is too large and unwieldy for the old man's grip, and when he clutches at it, it bounces to one side, slipping heavily from his fingers, and whatever lies beyond Cain's vague sense of disquiet slips away as well. He is old and gets distracted easily. When the idea is gone, he doesn't bother to follow it, and soon forgets it altogether. This evening Cain appears calm, but he is not. His terror is that of a tiny boy dropped from a great height during a thunderstorm while vultures pluck his flesh. His stomach feels slightly out of kilter, down where his intestines should be. This makes his midriff hurt. It makes his back and his loins and his molars hurt. Was this how his brother felt as the life hurtled from his body? Or did he feel something else entirely? Rage, for example, or bewilderment, or perhaps an overwhelming grief that blotted out all else with enormous reptilian wings. Cain tucks his chin against his clavicle, shuts his eyes tight, and tries to keep the world at bay. Outside his grandson, Irad, cackles as the children play some game involving rocks and noise. He is, he thinks, almost ready to leave this place behind forever. Almost eager, in fact. Almost. So behold him there, Cain, lying alone in the hut, thinking back on his life, tallying it up, waiting to die. 39. The Brother Lately, something strange has been happening to Cain. He has been having conversations with his dead brother. In the early morning, during the rift between sleep and consciousness, Abel appears in the hut, squatting at the foot of Cain's sleeping mat, cracking his knuckles or picking his teeth. And how is it with you lately? he likes to ask. His voice is colorless, like the air. Abel has been gone fifty years now, and Cain is a jumpy, scared old man. These visitations terrify him, but the terror precludes any violent outcry. He does not command, Spirit be gone, or out with you shade, or any of a dozen other entreaties that cram into his mouth. Fear commands that he lie half groggy on his mat and converse civilly 
with his long-murdered brother. So he replies, I am well enough. That's good to hear, nods Abel. He says this every time, with the same bland sincerity that used to so curdle Cain's nerves when they were both younger, just boys really, and alive. Abel says this every time too. Soon we'll be reunited. I'm looking forward to it. Cain says nothing but wonders if this is true. Hopes it is. Fears it is. Abel's fingers brush against the floor of the hut, leaving no furrows in the sand. He looks no older than the day when Cain pummeled him with a stone and pitched him off a cliff. For that matter, there is no sign of the violence of his death. Green eyes flicker from a broad, open face, and a tangle of brown curls caresses his shoulders. He had always been a pretty youth, olive-skinned and dimpled. Five decades of extinction has not changed this. Cain grimaces. He is crippled and riven with pain, and sometimes his eyes water with unfairness of it, that Abel should remain eternally young while Cain must suffer rancid teeth and creaking joints and incontinence and all the rest. He is fully aware of the absurdity of this. Tonight Abel appears for one final visit. Father appears well, he says, as if Cain has asked. But he hasn't. Cain never asks. He left that family behind long ago, and if he is startled by the longevity of his parents, he doesn't let it show. Mother, too, Abel continues. Everyone settled now, with grandchildren, except for the twins who died some time ago. I didn't know that. Oh, yes, Epan and Epna, by the plague, within days of each other, also Carod in childbirth, and the infant as well, a boy. Cain digests this. The names echo in his memory like rusted bells. He can barely recall their faces, but hadn't Carod been special to him once? Everyone else is all right, Abel continues. The other children and that... that... His hand flutters. Seth, the one who... took my place. Yes, I remember your speaking of him, says Cain. The puzzlement in his brother's voice when he mentions Seth is one of Cain's few pleasures these days. Our parents didn't waste much time in mourning, did they? Petulant, Abel frowns. Cain impassively ponders his parents' advanced years. If age weighs so heavily on him, how must they feel? Spent indeed, by all accounts. Ready to find a comfortable grave and stretch out. Well, good luck to them. Or perhaps not. Perhaps their days are lightened by grandchildren who do not fear to kiss them, by in-laws who do not spurn them, by neighbors who speak their names aloud and not in whispered invocations used to frighten wayward children. Cain can only imagine such an existence. Then Abel says, You should go see them. Anger wells up at that, oozes through Cain like pus, the intensity of it catches him off guard. Those two little words, you should, are like the memory of a slap. I'm not long for this world, as you well know, and why would I go anyway? Besides to kill him, perhaps, finish the job I started. 
Abel is already starting to vanish. Don't talk like that. Piss off. I'll say what I like. For now, brother, for now. Piss off, I said. He is cursing an empty room. The encounter leaves him trembling, but whether with rage or fear he can't say. Not for the first time he wonders bitterly. Why does it have to be his brother who so visits? Why can't it be his wife? He would give much for a few moments with Zaru again. Though perhaps, just perhaps, it is better this way. No great revelation ever comes from these appearances. No warnings of damnation or promises of redemption. Just a few words, an implicit reminder, a notification, as it were. In a way, Cain is grateful for this. There are many damning things his brother could tell him that would bring him no joy whatsoever. Another memory dogs him lately. A boy's flickering face, a lupine stranger lit by firelight, leaning eagerly forward. A certain glitter to the eyes as he says, if it wasn't for you, he'd still be alive right now. Decades ago this was. The boy had not been speaking of Abel. Sitting here, talking to you, the wolf-like boy had said. Instead of me. Recently Cain has grown preoccupied with that conversation and all it implies. This might be why he calls out in his sleep from time to time, Do you forgive me? There's never any answer, of course. There's no one around to hear him. And even if there were, who would take the responsibility of answering? Maybe this is why Cain always wakes, morning after morning, with a heavy feeling of unutterable sadness in his gut, heavy and painful.